go. I'm good. All right, cool. Welcome to the Hot Isle. This is episode number 42. I'm Brent Piotti, and with me I've got... Brian Carpenter. Mr. Carpenter, how are you today, buddy? I'm awesome. I'm refreshed and relaxed and ready for this thing. Yeah, you just got back from a, a week-long vacation to Florida, right? Yeah. Don't tell anybody. I don't think I didn't tell my bosses I was going. <laughs> well, uh, if uh, if if they're not aware of it then, or they're they're certainly aware of it now. But uh, that you caught a seventy. How how big was that fish? A seventy-three pound. A seventy-three pound cobia, and um, for once, it's a fish tail that is actually true. I have pictures. They're not photoshopped. It's all good. That's <laughs> awesome, man. You took all that meat home too, right? Yeah, I did. I'm excited. I I drove home. Shoved it in the freezer. By the way, those Yeti coolers actually work. I put I put ice in it in in Florida. Drove through two days of 100 degree heat and left it in the car overnight. And when I got back, it was still complete ice. Like I could hardly get the ice out of the thing. Um, wow. And then uh, pulled out my king mackerel and my and my cobia, and I shoved it in my freezer and hopped on a plane. And I'm in Boston. Okay. Awesome, dude. Well, cool. Well, welcome back to the. To the land of the living. Uh, let's dive into this week's episode of the Hot Owl. Yeah, nobody so cares about my fish is... tails, right? Let's. They <laughs> no, no, care. I do. That's yeah. why I brought it up. Yeah, I mean, but you know, let's uh, let's let's get why we're really here because I'm excited <laughs> to hear our guests' fish tails. Oh, absolutely. So the goal of the show today is really to get uh, get everyone up to speed on some of the application development techniques that are out there, specifically regarding the 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 world of Drupal, Meteor, and Docker. So the guest that we have on today actually uh, was just at uh, DockerCon, so we're going to get some insight into some of the highlights of DockerCon as well. So with us, we've got Mr. Stephen Pope, uh, Stephen from Project Ricochet. Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Nice to be here. Thanks, awesome, Stephen. man. So Stephen, I have, a, I have a quick question for you since Brent said it there. May, am, I, am I the only person who, when they hear DockerCon, thinks of like ShakaCon? Is it just... <laughs> uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because my, my whole team, they kept... They kept saying similar things, so you're not you're not uh, alone. Okay, so your team and I are all childish, and it's all good. Childish, so, yeah. yes. So again, Stephen, uh, thanks for joining us, Brent. Why don't you uh, let everybody know who he is? I, I apologize for interrupting with my childish update. <laughs> no, not at all, man. So, like I said, Stephen, you're from Project Ricochet. First of all, tell us uh, kind of who you are, what you do, and uh, a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So, um, so I'm like a, a lifelong technology enthusiast. Um, I grew up, um, you know, building computers. My dad was in computers. Um, you know, and I was also, you know, parallel to that, I've always been a, an entrepreneur and interested in business. And I've always been kind of mixing the two. And uh, for the most part, I've been, um, you know, using technology to, to build things. So I'm interested in actually you know, building things and, and making practical, that, that might be something that, that's a, a common thread through the talk here, but I like to build uh, practical things for people. And um, so, you know, I, I did a lot of BBSing before the internet, and then our, uh, our high school back in 1993 um, was kind of lucky to have the internet, so I got early expo exposure to that, um, and I started getting into Linux um, and just kind of, you know, you know, ever since I was a little kid doing doing programming and and uh, and system administrative stuff, and and then I got a degree in computer science and uh, had a, sh a short career as a um, as a software engineer at a company um, and helping them. But then I, I quickly moved into into consulting and and working directly with with companies to help 
help build them software. And then, um, as you touched on, Project Ricochet is a, is a digital agency, and we build software for all sorts of different companies, from you know, from large healthcare companies to to smaller mortgage companies, um, really all across the board. So it's, we don't necessarily work with small, small or medium companies. It's really all across the board, and and we help them de- develop uh, Drupal sites and Drupal applications and and also Meteor applications. And then more recently, within the last year here, we've been, you know, really focused on Docker and all the exciting stuff that's around that, and uh, helping companies kind of think through what that means for them. And then, and, and we started learning that through, you know, how do we use Docker internally? How do we get all this stuff launched, um, you know, as a, as a company here? So that's kind of a, you know, the, uh, the short version of, of kind of where I came from and, and what Ricochet is all about. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to learn more about Ricochet. And then especially we'd like to learn about, you know, how you guys use Docker and how you're talking about it with your customers. Uh, but it is interesting to talk about your past. Uh you certainly look like you've been a serial entrepreneur. Um, you 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 still have your hand in a in a couple like a few different pots. It looks like co-founder of of Pushpin Planner, co-founder of Tripverse, and uh, also partner at, at uh, Project Ricochet. Right. So how are you juggling all three of those things um, right now? Well, yeah, that's that's actually uh, you know a, a tough um, a tough job actually. That's one of the things that Project Ricochet has has spent a lot of time trying to hone in on is, is creating an environment where we can, you know, we can be a consulting company and then also delve into these products and, and carve out mental space to, you know, focus, um, focus our time and energy on the products as well to make those, those successful. And that, that is definitely a challenge. I mean, I think if you talk to, you know, a lot of people that are in the consulting world, it seems like it's a common thread that the consultants want to be in the product space. Um, and then, you know, they, they typically, you know, they, they have troubles doing so just because you're, you're, you're pulled in multiple directions. But, um, the main way we've been kind of focused on that is really locking down the consulting, um, and, and make, you know, building a team that is focused and has processes and, and a, and a good management structure for, for doing that. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, Pushpin Planner was a was an application that we created uh, out of the out of the consulting world. So I think one of the ways we make it work is that a lot of the tools that we're building, you know, we're consuming them ourselves. Uh, and then in terms of uh, Tripverse specifically, you know, that one's a little bit lighter on us because we're we're mostly serving as advisors um, and and investment partners, and we're not we're not into the the day to day operating of of that business, which. Um, which makes it easier, and then and then one of the products that that uh, you know you might not have found on LinkedIn or where, wherever you found the list of those things is we also have another product coming out, which is again you know in line with the consulting that we do, but it's the Ricochet maintenance module, which uh, basically allows companies and organizations to install install a module on their site, and it will give them a dashboard of all the various security updates that need to. That need to be done on a on a particular Drupal site or a Meteor site. So, um, so that, that's that's kind of how we we go about it. Very cool. So you've been at Project Ricochet for going on eleven years. Is that a true statement? Yep. Okay. Long, long haul. Very don't, cool. But you don't were... remind him, Brent. It sounded like, that sounded <laughs> a little that sounded a little painful. <laughs> well, no, I mean it's uh, 
not, I wouldn't say painful, but it's been a journey and there's been a lot of things that we've, um, we've learned along the way. And, and there's definitely been, you know, times where me and my partner are putting in, um, you know, a lot of time. So I think that the reaction you hear from me is just, there's a lot of history and a lot of evolution that comes with, with starting a company and then running it for 11 years. So, and, and it's kind of interesting. So you, you obviously started it with something in mind and you're now at, at, at today's point and yeah, you probably couldn't predict this. Are you and your partner trying to predict what the next 11 years looks like? Or are you kind of just letting it, you know, go with the flow, whatever the industry demands is what you're going to deliver or, um, you know, what's, what's next for project ricochet in that, in that perspective? Well, I mean, I think I'm really focused on the, the, the core technologies that we're going to need to stay competitive. Um, you know, things move very quickly. And if you're locked into a specific, you know, language or way of doing things, you can find yourself outdated pretty quick. Um, but, you know, definitely what, what we're focused on is, you know, keeping, keeping the, the consulting, you know, vibrant and strong and, and locked down so that it can, it can function like a, a well-oiled machine and then really try to break through on the product side and make sure that, that we can build something that can scale without it being, you know, the, the hours that we put into a, any particular project. So, you know, over the next few years, the goal is to, is to make sure a, a product is launched and successful. Awesome. So, Stephen, speaking of uh, startups, we do a segment every week called This Week in Tech History. And uh, we're not going to change that trend this week. But uh, in this week in June of 1972, Atari was founded. Um, so I'm sure you're familiar with that. Uh, I think most yeah. of us are if we're in the we're generally the same age category. But um, so some, some quick and easy facts on that. So the first game was Pong. That was the Pong system that Atari came out with. Um, Atari was the fastest growing company in U.S. history at that time, which I found to be pretty, pretty interesting. Um, I, I wouldn't have thought that Atari would be that thing. They sold 30 million uh, 2,600 units. And that unit was priced at 199 bucks in 1977, which was equal to uh, roughly 777 dollars uh, in today's terms. And then uh, the best-selling game was Pac-Man. Uh, so with that, uh, Stephen, did you have an Atari 2600? You know, I had an Atari, but I don't remember if it was a 2600. Um, I came into it a little bit late because my my parents. They weren't into game consoles, so the first time we ended up getting an Atari was it was purchased at a at a garage sale, and it was probably probably ten or fifteen years old by then. But we still had a a ball using it. It was a it was a cool system, and and it, it kind of reminds me of I just watched I think it was on on Netflix. It was a the documentary, yeah, yeah, documentary about the ET game and how they uh, they they searched for it and found it all buried in that in that hole. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. That was, was we, Brett and I were talking about that as we were like, oh man, did you see that documentary? It was a really good documentary. It brings back a lot of memories. I played yeah. the, I played the ET game, um, and I also played um, I probably wore out Pac Man amongst other things. So I think Pitfall was another big one there. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, the twenty six hundred was kind of the big unit. You may have had a fifty two hundred um, for a while there. I collected arcades games, and then uh, my wife told me that she wouldn't talk to me anymore if I didn't get rid of them, and so <laughs> I made life choices, and here we are. Should have kept yeah. the video, should have kept the video games, but so, so, oh, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, do it. 
I was gonna say. So the big question is, did you enjoy ET? Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, you know, I, I'm, but again, I'm also, you know, I can watch like most every movie, uh, except for like the Inkwell. Uh, but any movie besides that, I can watch and like really enjoy it. So I don't know that I'm discerning enough to be picky. I don't really criticize things. I'd rather just be entertained. So you know, um, <laughs> it, it's all good. But yeah, I think they kept selling it all the way through the mid '80s. So my guess is you probably had a 2600. And sorry, mom and dad, for making you spend almost 800 bucks on today's money in a console. You know, it's <laughs> bad enough now we have to spend three or 400 bucks on an Xbox or whatever. So I know Gah. we digress. You know, you you did say something earlier though, and I've been researching feverishly. You said you played on a BBS. Um, you know, I around have- high school age. So did I. Um, in really very similar time. So do you remember the BBS you were on? You know, because I was like, I remember specifically it was this one called uh, Chrysalis out of Dallas. And, um, you know, it was, uh, on, it was a TBB, I think it was TBBS or whatever it's based on. Uh, uh, so yeah. I don't know if you how into it you were. I know all my friends were playing those, uh, you know, massively online games in the BBS days. Man, it was hard to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, you're t- like uh, Trade Wars. Yes. And, yes, that, those games were awesome. Yeah, I, you know, I remember... Uh, the one that sticks sticks out in my mind is is the Renegade BBS, but I have a feeling there was probably like a thousand of those all over the the United States because it was just one of those names like it's just kind of like uh, you know the the dark side of the the BBSs and stuff. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, those were fun times, and I think a lot of the sites that I would uh, or not sites, I guess the places I'd call into were running a WWIV, um, and then uh, I think I remember the one that you mentioned as well. It's getting a little cloudy. That's another, that's another topic where they have a, an interesting uh, documentary on YouTube. I don't know if it was actually published anywhere on, on Netflix, but they've got like a, an eight or nine episode um, history of, of all the BBSs and all the, the different wars that, that uh, came out of that. And um, it's, it's pretty interesting. It was, that, that was a really exciting time in my life because it was um, it's the first time where you, you, you're, you're connecting out in the world. And there were, there were times when, you know, some of those BBSs near the end were, were actually connecting to the internet, and you could get onto the internet through the BBSs, and uh, and you could download files, and uh, and play games and interact with people. And it was always like an, an honor when the when the sysop would want to chat with you. And so it was just just kind of a fun fun time, especially in, in your younger years when you're you're learning computers and you, you can finally dial out and kind of meet the meet the world. Yeah. Although that was, it was a cra- I mean, it's a crazy time. I remember doing that on my on my Mac Classic, and um, so it's like it, it's just so long ago. Yet it was it was so it was such a important part of my evolution into actually being a nerd rather than just a computer user. Yeah, and and I'd spend you know half a night just waiting for a, a small application to download. Yeah, I was about to I was about to joke that I'd have to spend like my entire dinner downloading, um, you know, one picture of of like some. Sports Illustrated, you know, the cover. It's like it came out. We got to download it and it come and it start with like gray. And all of a sudden, you know, there's Michael Jordan dunking or something like that. And yeah. it's like, I remember doing that. I'd be like, ah, I got one picture, you know, and it was who knew, who knows what the resolution on that was. It's probably a lower resolution than today's black and white facts. So we digress. Uh, you know, maybe afterwards you and I can get a virtual beer and talk about BBSs, but we're here to talk about other stuff. And we're going to dig right into this thing, right? So, um, you know, we kind of sort of talked about Project Ricochet, um, but I'm going to come at it in a a different, I'm going to come at it a different angle, right? So you're out here talking about how you're helping people with Docker and other applications and getting what it sounds like to me is 
you're taking what people are trying to do and say maybe developing inside Docker and containers in general, and then teaching them how to get into production. Uh, and really the big cliff that is the difference between running an app on your on your laptop in a container and actually running in production full time and all the things that evolve in that. Is that is that did I summarize appropriately what you guys are doing or is it a little bit different? Yeah, I mean, ultimately right now, I just I, I think what I'm noticing in the, in the field is that um, it's hard for people to, to even understand Docker. I mean, when I was at DockerCon, it seemed like, you know, most people were able to talk about it, uh, you know, with relative ease. Um, but I've just noticed, you know, from multiple layers, there's, and I haven't seen this, I, I don't always see this in, in, techno, in all technologies, uh, like when a new framework comes out. Um, but I've noticed, you know, from all levels of the organization, there's, it's, it's hard for people to digest um, Docker. You know, even from a, a managerial standpoint, how am I going to push this out to my team? How do I get my team to understand Docker? And then from a business point of view, um, you know, you see business owners saying, okay, why do I, why should I be interested in Docker? I could just, I could have a virtual machine. You know, what's, what's the big deal about Docker? And then um, from a technical standpoint, just getting over the hurdles of, of, exp of explaining to people what the advantage of Docker is. And I think, um, you know, Getting getting Docker out into production for um, for some of our clients is going to be a mixture of all of those 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 things, and so that's kind of the you know, the approach that I've been kind of coming at this with is like how do from all these different angles how do we communicate the the advantages of Docker and then help our clients actually you know use this stuff. And so with that, you know, when when you're looking at these things as people are trying to get there, are you are you mostly focused on um, in other words, when people call or you reach out to people and get engaged, is it around application rationalization and taking a legacy application and modernizing it and changing it into a, a basically a different framework and a different way of running it? Or is this typically net new application development? They have a new project and they want to do it with that. Or, you know, where does that lie? Yeah, so clients really come to us for both reasons. They've got an existing application. Um, they've got a, an existing uh, Meteor project or Drupal project, and um, for any number of reasons, they're they, you know they're, they're outsourcing it or you know switching from a different consulting firm to ours, which is always an interesting story to to understand why they're switching from one consultant to another. Um, and then and then we're also helping you know companies, uh, you know, large and smart or startups, um, we're helping them you know build applications from the ground up. Um, and so, you know, typically most of the work that we've done is, is you know, application development. But now that, that Docker is, 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 um, is around, that's another place that we've seen an opportunity to, you know, as, the, as these, you know, we, we have all these existing applications and we have all the, the, the new kind of um, Meteor type applications using Node and um, that actually lend themselves to Docker very well. You know, how can we help clients understand that stuff you know, there's all these different things that are floating around. You got Swarm, Kubernetes. Um, you know, so it's just like there's all these different tools, um, and just so many different things that that somebody has to kind of um, wrap their mind around. When actually, there's there's probably a pretty uh, straight and narrow path that somebody can take to kind of start to start to run this stuff in their their own organization. And so you've got so now somebody's come in and they've got their existing app or new app and they're working on things. Um, are they, are you working with them as well as to determine where they should be running that workload? Are they, are they asking you for advice on 
do I need to run this on-prem, off-prem? Do I need to, you know, is there a service that I need to use or should I go ahead and orchestrate it myself or um, whether or not they kind of let somebody else do all the operations and they just worry about their application or even, you know, even further out than that? Or are you really heavily focused on uh, really just the application portion and helping them get into container? But after that, they kind of make their own decisions on it. Yeah, really, the, you know, really we're helping clients navigate that stuff. So, you know, just last week we were, you know, or not last week, the week before, because last week was, was DockerCon, but you know, we were doing just that. We were, were helping a company develop a, a Meteor application. And then the, the question, you know, arises, you know, like, you know, you could, you could easily deploy this on, you know, like the Docker cloud. I've got a, a blog series out on, on deploying, um, you know, Meteor and Node applications um, in production on Docker. And that would totally be something that we could help them do. Um, and we talk we talk through them with that, but at the same time, you know, Meteor is also you know they have a service. Their whole profit model is around um, deploying Meteor applications. And for particular, you know, for some shops, you know, that that's going to be a much better solution because uh, you know we we are a consultant uh, a consultancy, and we don't we don't typically get into you know doing. Um, uh, you know, doing SLAs and if, if there's downtime, you know, helping them get back up. So, you know, the companies that are, are, are rolling the Docker out themselves need to have a, a team and the expertise so that when we're done, we've, we've, we've kind of mapped out what their application needs to do, that we can guide them into a place that allows them to manage it themselves rather than having to, to rely on us. Because that, that's, that's something that's important to us is that when we help a client out, and we get them going on, you know, whether it's an application or Docker or whatever that is, that after they're done working with us, you know, we'd love to continue to work with them, and that's that's our long-term thing. But we want to we want to build them an environment that they can uh, that they can run on their on their uh, on their own. So, you know, the, the the client I'm thinking about in particular, this is an example where we said, hey, you know, Galaxy, and, and they use containers as well, to uh, or Docker as well to to run their backend infrastructure. But this is a, an example where we're like, hey, you know. We could, we could help you guys roll this out on Docker, um, orchestrate it. You know, the Docker Cloud uh, platform would be uh, a good place for that. But in our recommendation, this is probably a place where you guys might want to just go with Galaxy because they're going to provide you, you know, a lot of support for something that w- would you know, potentially cost you a lot more if you, if you were using us and you had emergencies and, and, and you needed us to kind of do every little thing. Because, again, when I, when I talked about what it takes for an organization to roll Docker out, you have management and business and then the technical expertise. You know, having all, all of those three things is gonna, you're gonna need a team and, and, and just you know, some of the clients that we're working with, they're you know, in startup mode or they're a smaller team and they don't have the, you know, the DevOps or system, administrative, system administration skills. You know, if, we, if we drop them on that kind of platform, they might be, you know, it might not be the best thing for them. So that, that's kind of, we, we definitely, um, you know, work with clients to help them figure out what, what the best place for their application is. And, and Stephen, where do you find that most of these applications are, are, are landing, right? So if we, um, if we kind of look at first the containerized portion, so Docker, I mean, you brought up the thing like the, the Docker cloud. Um, you know, I think that is a, is that a is that a service that they offer, or is that something that you can run on prem or in like a public a public cloud? 
Uh, so the the Docker um, the Docker Cloud service I, it's it's an online service. You can um, launch your own nodes. You know, so if you if you've got a you know a service or like a network that's closed off, like one of our one of our uh, clients is a healthcare company. Obviously, they have a lot of security concerns, and then um, so you can actually run um, you know servers that are you know on premises, but I think a service like that's a little bit more geared towards um, you know having uh, you know working in the cloud. Um, so you know if, you know if, for um, for this particular client, you know Galaxy was the best fit, and then and then in terms of um, like the healthcare company that we're working with, they're running um, DCOS, I think uh, DCOS, and so we've basically been helping them get get their infrastructure set up. So we've been playing a very specific role with them. You know, they're they're launching this stuff. They've got you know they've got the the I'm not sure the you know the the paid version of that. So they've got all kinds of support to actually help them roll that out internally, but they still need help. You know, how, you know, how do we get the Docker file? How do we get the build going? How do we get the continuous continuous integration going? So we've been helping them kind of uh, with the with the pieces they need, and I think that's that's kind of another highlight is that um, we don't really necessarily sell packages. I've, I've kind of been um, I've been thinking about how how Ricochet would position itself with Docker and how, how we could sell a, a package in terms of, um, you know, we, we help you think this stuff through. But in all reality, you know, every client comes to us with a very specific niche and need, and ultimately we fit into what they need. Um, and every, you know, so this, this, this particular uh, healthcare client, um, you know, their needs are, are more specific and more narrow. So all we really have to help them with is, is getting Docker up, get the logging up, and uh, and then they they take the orchestration and you know they run with that uh, on their own. Okay, so I read your three part uh, your 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 Docker node and uh, Meteor series. Cool. Um, I'll, I'll admit that I didn't understand all of it, but it uh, certainly <laughs> was interesting. Um, some some things in there that I, I would like to to try. Um, so I guess my first question is uh, why why write it is. Uh, has Docker just become re- such a fever pitch that you're like, I, I gotta, I gotta understand it and help my customers do it, or um, was there some other impetus behind it? Well, I think ultimately, like I, I've, I, I kind of see the light with Docker. I mean, I've, I've used it. I, I, I see its value, um, but I have noticed that, you know, when I when I talk about it with other people that aren't as familiar, it is a bit harder for me to. Uh, to explain it because there's 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 a lot that there's a lot that goes into to rolling it out and and what is its value, and so my aim with with this this blog series was was to write something that showed the, a very practical use case for um, for Docker and 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 Node lends itself to Docker very well because it's you know it's a fairly simple um, you know uh, runtime engine and it. You can deploy it fairly, fairly easily. So my main goal here was to sh- to show people, hey, without a whole lot of effort, you know, you can take this 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 mystify, you know, this the Docker, which seems to mystify um, a certain group at this point, and 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 you can roll this out and make it actually, it's pretty easy, and there's there's tools that'll help you do it pretty easily, and it's not such a big thing because I just feel like there's so much information out there about Docker. 
like like when I first started getting into it, I didn't really know where to start. And uh, you know, in a typical engineer, you kind of want to know everything and understand everything before you get into it. And from my perspective, is with with something like Docker and and how how big it is, that's going to be pretty hard to do. Um, so I wanted to show a really practical, easy example of of how you can deploy a, an application, in this case, Node or Meteor, on a on a platform that's out there, with with actually, I mean, not not a whole lot of uh, skill or 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 knowledge. And so you've you've mentioned this kind of a couple of times, right? You've mentioned uh, the skill set of the teams, um, you know, the operational knowledge of what they may or may not already know, and things like that. Um, and really the heavy focus on the application, right? I mean, everybody's, it's really just about getting that application out there. Um, wh why are we suggesting things like um, uh, Docker or any of those kind of things? Why not a, um, a PaaS? Why not something like Cloud Foundry? Why not something, why, are, why aren't you just advising them to run it all on Amazon or some other, you know, some other place like that? Why? You know why is it this way versus that? Like, what's your what's your opinion there on why you haven't focused in that direction? Well, I, I would say that that um, I wouldn't necessarily you know count those out. Um, you know, Docker for us is. Um, I mean, I think those. I mean, even you know, even Amazon has their own cloud um, a cloud platform, or I mean, a Docker platform. Um, I, I think Docker. What's interesting about Docker is that. Um, one of the things that I think that it's going to do is that it, it helps the communication between developers and system administrators. This has always been kind of a, a contentious relationship, at least in my experience, where developers are building something and, um, and, and they, they're in their own little world. They've got their own local development environments. And then it goes, and then, and then they describe to, to someone else, hey, this is, this is something that, that I need to deploy, and then the, the system administrator asks them a bunch of questions about it, and then um, and then it gets deployed and it doesn't work, and they're both blaming each other for why it doesn't work, and then ultimately that that's not really a, a very conducive uh, relationship. And so the, the the concept that Docker has with its Docker file, the the developer gets to describe the the platform that's that's rolled out, and I find that to be just a, a really interesting way. Of of combining the the developer side with the uh, the system administrator side because now the system administrator is going to be w worried about how do I deploy containers how do I make sure that there's a an infrastructure that that lets me deploy containers and then the developers deciding what's in that container if the developer needs a new version of Node or needs a new uh, a new new version of something else you know they, they describe that and then the the system administrator can just deploy it and and they're off and running. So uh, I think that's, you know, that's, you know, one particular way that I think uh, Docker really has a, a strength compared to some of the other places. Um, and then, you know, you obviously can can select from a lot of different online resources like like the Docker Cloud to help you orchestrate this stuff. Um, but that's one of the main strengths that I see for, for Docker. So do you, and, and again, so Docker and those kind of things being, you know, somewhat even running Docker somewhere else being somewhat unopinionated, right? Like somebody could just make a build file, deploy it, they're off and running. Um, do you, you're not, I don't see you talking about steering your customers towards an opinionated platform, right? Where they've got some kind of guardrails and these are the things you're gonna consume and you could deploy this in multiple different places. Um, is there, 
is there a re- I mean, I guess Meteor would be, or Galaxy would be one of those places, right? You've basically only written in Meteor, and it's only going to run there uh, right. or in that type of environment. Are you, it seems to be, though, and again, opinions are great, but as far as opinionated and un- unopinionated platforms, you seem to be leaning more towards unopinionated, a lot more flexibility. Is that a, a result of the customers, or is that a result of your um, practices or your thought processes on how you practice? Um, well, well, let me fill that in a little bit too, because I think where I've where I, we have been focusing on Docker is, is specifically with with Node and Meteor. Um, although in that case as well, I you know I explained that you know Galaxy might be a, a, a perfect place, and in many cases that's that's actually where um, we'll send clients because um, there's a supported network and a supported team that will be able to to help you with that. Now, in the, in the case of the the Drupal world. Um, this is a, a place where we haven't really used Docker much at all because I think actually using Docker, um, while I can see some, some cases where it would make sense, um, they would probably be more more special case. And so with our, with our Drupal clients, most of the time we, um, we use a service called Pantheon and then a, another service called Acquia, which are hosted platforms typical of the ones that you're, you're talking about, um, where... They're geared towards you know running a, a Drupal site, and all you have to do is you know deploy your code, and and uh, and you're off and running. So, um, I think you know you know Ricochet is definitely not trying to push people towards Docker necessarily. We see it as an exciting um, opportunity and a place where we could definitely do a lot of good with our clients and help them roll out really interesting. Uh, um, Deployments and and help them, but at the same time, you know, Ricochet. Like I, I think I mentioned this, but Ricochet is is trying to deliver practical and valuable solutions to our clients and pushing them towards Docker when there are other solutions out there like uh, Pantheon or Acquia would be a mistake. And that's not something that we're we're really you know it's not it, when you come to us it's not like we're like hey let's get you into Docker, um, but we are wanting to talk to the people that are interested in Docker. And, and want to deploy their stuff on Docker and help them do that, um, or you know find solutions with Docker that make sense for them. But you know for Drupal, for instance, you know deploying on Pantheon and Acquia are so so dead simple and and works so well that trying to get them released on on a Docker platform would actually be probably not in their best advantage. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be to their advantage. And so speaking and again speaking of Docker, if they come in, they're like, man. I need some containers, uh, and they probably use Docker. It's like, uh, you know, frankly, it's almost like the cl- the Kleenex of of saying I need a container, right? You can call it a container or a Docker or whatever. Um, right. But when when there's other container technologies out there, um, you know, even you know things like Kubernetes or you know you mentioned you know what you know DCOS and the things that they offer, um, and they're you know they're somewhat competing technologies. Is there something that drives you towards advising one or the other? Is it simply your expertise in Docker that makes you kind of focus there, or um, you know, have you also you know leveraged Kubernetes in the same manner and DCOS for customers? I know you mentioned one customer's using it already, so why not just leverage their existing technology, right? So, yeah, I mean, you know, to be honest, you know, Ricochet as a as a team is is new to this as well, um, and we have you know a certain you know, a certain group of clients that, that we kind of see um, that, that we would be able to help. In, in terms of, you know, there, there are some massive you know, deployments that 
that some you know some companies like a healthcare company may have that you know a, a Docker platform like Docker Swarm may not may not be the best fit. And you know Ricochet isn't really prepared to help somebody to launch you know Kubernetes. Um, and I think you know going back to some of the other points I made, is that we 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 tend to make you know pretty practical solutions for people. And the thing that I've been interested with with Docker specifically, the Docker Cloud Platform, and you know Docker Swarm, and you know they they just released Docker 1.2, is you see that Docker's focus is to make this stuff pretty dead simple. Um, and you know some of the other platforms, while they might give you um, additional features that that some really advanced deployments might need, most of the clients that that we're helping aren't going to need these really um, these really, you know, advanced deployments and you know, Docker and Docker Swarm and the, the new Docker Swarm mode, these things are, you know, the, the trend that Docker has is like, let's just make this stuff super dead simple. Like if you, if you saw their, their keynote, you know, they, they uh, installed Docker Swarm on a couple machines um, and it's, it sets up, you know, security and mesh networks and load balancing and all these things that are actually kind of difficult on, on Kubernetes. Um, and um, so when, 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 I, when I'm kind of focused on the, the Docker side of things, it's really because most of the, the things that we're doing are fairly practical, and I want to I make sure that we provide you know, practical solutions for the type of people that, that come to, to Project Ricochet. All right. So thanks, Stephen. Um, so we've brought up Drupal and Meteor a bunch, right, in our conversation. Let's go ahead and, like, cover w- what those are. So let's start with Drupal. So Drupal is a uh, is a PHP content management system, and uh, you know it basically allows you to you know if if you've got a, a site that's that's revolving around you know content you know content is your is the is the key you know system there you know if you, if you um, people might be familiar with WordPress it's it's a content management system and and it's extensible so you can add modules and you know you can you can change the theme so. Anytime you've got a content site that needs additional functionality, um, you know Drupal is is a really good uh, platform for you to to use. Okay, yeah, it was interesting, right? This is an open source project. Um, what I initially got kind of stuck on was when it compared it to WordPress, and then I was like, okay, gosh. Uh, and then you talked about well, we can not only do web pages, but we can also do applications with it. So talk to me about that transition between. Um, just you know, a web page, and then converting that or designing or uh, developing an application using Drupal. What are the other components, if any, that are necessary to turn something into an application? Right. So um, you know, an example. One of our our long term clients is a is a mortgage company, and so they've got a uh, you know a content management system, and it's built on Drupal, and it's doing. Um, it's doing actually quite a bit of content management like you would on, on WordPress. Um, but there's a lot of additional functionality that takes place there. So for instance, a, you know, a loan officer can come on to the site and not only can they see, you know, various, you know, company, you know, newsletters and, you know, this is happening there and this is happening then. Um, but you can all, the, the loan officer can also come in and say, Hey, I, where's my, where's my loan? Um, you know, what, what, I've I've got you know thirty different loans that I'm trying to to sell to you know thirty different customers. What's the status of those loans? 
And so what this particular Drupal site is doing is it's going out and it's querying other um, you know, um, loan, loan software that's within their network and getting, you know, getting uh, information about those things and then pulling it back into, into the Drupal site and then allowing that to be displayed to the user. So anytime there's kind of like a, you know, a functional type uh, use case where it's, it's more than just, you know, um, you know, just showing content or they, they have, a, they have you know, other, other uh, features where um, you, know, you, can, you can set up a workflow. So you, know, you, you can create content and then th that particular piece of cont content can go through um, several different um, pieces of workflow, um, whether that be, you know, n now this, this loan needs to go to underwriting so that the node can be transformed or it can be set so that you know, the, the status of this particular piece of content is, is in the, the court of the underwriter at this point. And then the underwriter can see that content um, and then they can, they can do what they need to do to it. And then it can move on to the funder or, uh, or to the, you know, the closing department. So um, any, anywhere where there's content and then you're adding a layer of, of programming and, and, and functionality on top of just serving content. Okay. So again, Drupal open source uh, content management system, uh, Meteor. Talk to us about that. So Meteor is is uh, a, a, just a kind of a mind blowing new framework that came out um, several years ago, which which uh, kind of helps you build more real time apps. So you know when a client comes to us and they're you know they're wondering. I mean sometimes clients come to us and they they say oh we want a Drupal site or we want a Meteor site, but sometimes they just want a, a site, um, and and that's a, a point where. You know, kind of like where we decide whether they should be on Pantheon or Aquia or using Docker. That's another a, a talking point where we're like, hey, well, what, what does your site need to do? And the, the sites that typically um, use Meteor are kind of more the real-time app. So this is a, a completely uh, Java, you know, the, the, the front end and the back end are written in JavaScript. Um, so, and, you know, it's like when, when, when data is changing on the, the server, um, it, it's much more like a an application like on, on your phone where, where where things are just getting updated without page refreshes. So it's a, it's a much more application type feel. Um, you know, and, and if me and you are are working on the same piece of content and you um, and you update your page, you know, my page will also update. So it's it's a much more it's it's essentially a real time uh, application development framework. Sure, and, and from what I read about it, uh, um, some of some bigger companies are using it: Mazda, IKEA, Honeywell, Qualcomm, and PGA. So it's a pretty cool site. Check it out. Um, but uh, so, kind of digging back into the actual uh, application design. Um, sure. Are you are you using things like you know we keep hearing cloud native or microservices and twelve factor? Are you following met these types of methodologies for the applications? Um, or do you find yourself leaning towards, you know, uh, towards the other side, which is kind of more a more traditional application? And although you're using Docker containers, um, you can still stuff a, you know, monolithic app inside of there. But where do you lean? Where do you help guide your customers? More microservices, cloud native, um, or kind of is is it more traditional in the Meteor and Drupal stack? Um, well, yeah, I mean. Typically, people are coming to us with with an application um, that they need. So, I mean, we do we do definitely build some microservices to kind of support these applications that we build. But you know, typically, um, you know, in, in Meteor, for instance, it, it's got a pretty prescribed way of developing the, the application itself. So, um, so for the most part, you know, we're um, 
You know, we're, we're, we're in line with, you know, how a Drupal site wants to be built because th these frameworks are, are built in such a way that, you know, they, they come with a lot of really cool stuff out of the box. But if you, if you want to do it a different way, then ultimately you should probably, you know, consider, uh, you know, picking something else or a different framework altogether because, you know, so th these frameworks are kind of like a river. And if, if you're not kind of flowing with them and, and kind of doing it the, the Drupal way or the Meteor way, you might have wished you had done it, you know, some way, you know, some other way altogether. And it sounds like, so I, you know, I've seen Drupal a couple of times with customers and things like that. And, you know, from what you're talking about, a really specific instance with the, uh, the, the mortgage company and the, you know, the document management there are, are both Drupal and Meteor, you know, when you look at them from like a content management perspective, are they really well suited towards people who have like document workflows? Is that really their sweet spot? Or is it just something that seems to have kind of popped up for you? Or maybe we just got, you know, just because they're the same story and I've seen it too, that it, that doesn't mean it's the only way it works. Yeah, I mean, you know, some, some of the stuff, it's, it's in the details. Um, I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, typically with, with Meteor, we don't necessarily, um, we wouldn't necessarily push Meteor for just like a, a document workflow kind of thing because, um, again, I, you know, when I, when I think of Meteor, my, my, first, my first reaction is, you know, real-time kind of, a real-time experience. You know, things are updating on the page without refreshing. You never, you, you, you go to the page and you never actually leave that page. There's there's not a lot of refreshing going on, um, whereas doc, you know Drupal that's something that's very specific to uh, content management and creating workflows around that. And then with Drupal eight, you know that that stuff's just getting easier and easier. So we talked earlier about DockerCon. Um, you headed out to DockerCon. You know you checked it out. We wanted to hear from you. What were your key takeaways? What were those things that maybe you know if your entire team wasn't there? Um, you know, customers who were asking you about it. Um, what were the things that you wanted to bring back that you're like, man, that's that's what I wanted to hear. That was interesting. That's not what I wanted to hear. You know, what's going on with that? Um, where, what's your perspective, both positive and negative? If there's either if there's anything of either. Sure. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a couple couple different things here. So, um, you know, at at the keynote, one of the you know the the main things that that was pretty exciting and a, and a takeaway was just um, you know one point two. And all the different things that that brings along with, you know, just being able to to, to deploy these, um, you know, these multi-node uh, Docker um, setups with almost no work, and and it just being really dead simple, and uh, you know, it's taking care of security and load balancing, and really some of these really hard hard to solve problems. Um, and then that kind of leads into, you know, one of the other takeaways, which is, you know, as Ricochet has been trying to make sense of all this stuff, and what does it mean for the the, the or you know the, our organization and other organizations is is that, you know, Docker as a as a company is moving really really fast, um, and in a way they're creating solutions for teams like ours that um, that are are making it easier and easier, and so. It, one of the main takeaways I got was like, even though we need to we, we need to be moving into this stuff in, a, in an aggressive manner so that we can stay relevant, but there was also an element of like I think we can relax a little bit in terms of you know worrying about 
you know, having to know every last little, um, you know, thing about, uh, you know, server deployment and Docker and all of the, I mean, if, you know, there's, there's a ton of stuff there and it's, it could be a little bit overwhelming, but, you know, the, the industry is moving so quick and, and newer, new things that are, are coming out so quickly that, you know, you know, things that were just six months ago, kind of hard for you to do. Um, it, it kind of relaxed me a little bit. I was like, Hey, this is pretty cool. You know, it's like, I don't need to worry quite so much about, um, do I, do I know this and do I know that and, and how do I how do I what's the deployment policy for this? These things are 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 being solved, you know, from a much bigger perspective and, and being made you know really easier for people. And and you know and I and I guess the the other um, takeaways I, I really kind of saw you know two 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 different types of visitors, you know. One type was a you know a system administrator that's trying to use Docker and and, and they're using that using this in their job or trying to get their their company to use it, and then there were um, another group like like myself who's you know we're on the services side and we're trying to piece together um, and, and I was there with one of my other buddies who's, who's who runs a, a consultant shop as well and 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 we were really trying to make sense of like how are we gonna how are we gonna communicate this to to our clients and how and you know you know even even when you go to DrupalCon not not DockerCon DrupalCon um, you know even though there's there's these cool platforms like Pantheon and Acquia to deploy your Drupal sites Docker is becoming a, a topic of almost all of the sessions even though um, you have a, a, a platform so um, I, I think you know from from the service standpoint the service industry standpoint. I think I, one of the main takeaways I, 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 I had was just like, hey, relax. This stuff is moving really quick. Some of the, the, the things that you might be worried about aren't actually that complicated. There's just a lot of talk about it. And if, if you start getting into it and start focusing on the things that you need, um, if, if it's not there right now, you know, very quickly, you know, people are going to be able to adopt Docker and, and do some advanced stuff without having to know all of the you know, the, the really advanced techniques that, that, uh, you know, a system administrator might, might be having to do right now. Like, and, and then the other takeaway too, is that, and, and, and I don't, I don't know how, how the rest of the industry is thinking about this, but you know, there's a lot of orchestration platforms out there, Kubernetes and, and, and DCOS. And, um, but I, I just, it's, it's just interesting because Docker itself is, is pushing their own orchestration platform and, they're 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 doing the same things, but at the same time making it easier, and uh, so it's just been kind of interesting to see that dynamic between these 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 companies that are using Docker, and and building platforms around it like like Rancher, but then at the same time having Docker moving really quick and really making this stuff dead simple, um, and seeing that dynamic between how how the ecosystem itself is going to is going to exist in the future. So, and specific to sessions, if you went to some sessions, and sometimes people just go and kind of hang out in the hall and just talk to people rather than hit a session. If you hit a session, was there one in particular that was just like um, you really liked the content, that the information was there, was super valuable? Uh, and if so, what was it? Well, I I actually liked the uh, the closing session where they were doing uh, Docker hacks, and what what I like about these kind of hacks is that. Uh, there's the there's the traditional way Docker is used, and so there there was 
there was all these sessions on security and, and using Rancher and, um, you know, but the, the interesting thing about these hacks is, you know, how, how are people using it in a, in a slightly different way? Um, so, you know, one of the, one of the hacks was, uh, it was kind of around the, the serverless model where you've got, uh, you've got this idea where you're not, you're not building servers out. You're, 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 you're really just, um, you know, the, the purpose of these containers can be, Hey, I'm just going to do this particular task and then I'm going to be done. So there was one, one of the hacks that they had there, which was you know, about serverless stuff where they converted a, a voting app, which was one of their examples that they used throughout the, the convention. And instead of having, you know, instead of having a web server and a, uh, and, and these various scripts that, that, uh, would be called upon, Instead, they would just have functions that lived within a container. So this container would just get launched, and it would, you know, like it, you know, if there was a if there was a function to insert something into the database, um, the idea was that you can just create a, a single-purpose container that would that you could call upon. You'd send it some data. It would do its job, and then it would be done. Um, so you have this idea where you can you can scale your infrastructure, and uh, you know ha- have all these different. Um, all these different services just providing a, a very specific uh, value, like a, a particular function, and then it, it runs and it's it's done and it's it's and and you're not like you're not you're not building a, an entire application. You're you're building micro uh, functions that exist in a container, and it kind of goes back to this kind of serverless kind of topic that I, I hadn't really thought much about it um, before DockerCon, but again, that's kind of why I like these hacks because you're seeing people use Docker in a, in a slightly different way than um, than than you were used to, and and and, and those to me those those kind of ideas kind of spark your own creativity. Like, oh yeah, that I didn't even think about how Docker could be used that way. Um, so I think that the the hacks were kind of the the highlight for me. Cool. Yeah. So it's interesting you bring that up. If you, the previous episode to you was a guy by the name of Steve Windish. And we just talked about serverless, so you should check it out. Eric, um, Wind- Eric Windish. Steve Eric Windish. Steve is who we're talking today. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Eric Windish, my bad. Um, so you brought up something interesting. Um, so you talked about you know databases, for instance, right? Kind of in container world. Um, so I've got to ask, container persistence, are you for it or against it? Uh. You mean in terms of like you know, hosting a database and, and having the data persist? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you think of just kind of containers in general, the idea is for them to be ephemeral and if, um, you know, they're stateless and if they die, you shoot it and then you spawn another one um, and there should be, you know, you don't have to worry about losing data, right, if it, if it does get sick. Uh, but there's been this kind of massive push, I feel like, lately to um, you need to have some sort of persistence layer for, for the application. Um, in the container world, you can do you know Docker world. They have uh, a way to do like Docker volume, um, but it's not you know there are there are pieces that work and don't work well. There are companies focused on container persistence. There are platforms that have it built into it. Um, our EMC code team has built um, an open source project to specifically address that. In addition to some orchestration, so there are there are camps that are. Um, very opposed to persistence and there are camps that are for it. So just trying to get your understanding of, of where you think it fits and if it does. Yeah. So for me, um, you know, from the application standpoint where I have my code, 
um, you know, the, you know the, the the container that's that's housing the source code. I like that to be, um, you know, I, I like that to be in, in set up so that you can you can just kill it and, and you you kill it and die, uh, and then you can just spin up a bunch of other ones and not have to worry about it. When it comes to stuff like databases, um, I, I don't really see a, a way around it, um, and all I'm looking for is is a solution that allows it to be pretty flexible and I can move things around and I don't have to worry about about data loss. But to me it seems like you know the, the, the container itself is where I like I like being able to um, you know ha- have consistency, know that whatever's in that container is, is 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 pristine and nothing else has changed within it. But in terms of having like a volume or a you know a, a data store where where a database is writing data to to me, it seems kind of like it seems like a must, and so I, I don't really have a problem with that. All of our, you know, the, all of the infrastructure that we have running uh, Ricochet, we've got MySQL, we've got Mongo. Um, I think there's some exciting opportunities around around launching databases in containers, and so I, I kind of see having um, the ability to have a volume and, and, and persisting that data to be to be a plus, not a, a minus. Um, especially, you know, like even with Mongo, that's, that's, that's like a, you know, it's a database that can scale. You can add additional nodes and you can, you know, replica sets and all that kind of stuff. To me, that seems like a, you know, that, that's, that's a prime candidate for containers and, and being able to scale and, and doing service discovery and, and allowing, and, and, and being able to, op, you know, to launch a lot of, uh, you know, to be able to be, to be able to, to launch a, a Mongo cluster really easily, um, and you know to do it easily, you know, with, with containers, you're going to need some sort of persistent volume. So, I, I from my perspective, it's almost it seems like it's a it's a must. There's got to be some some solution for that. Fair enough. Well, cool. So you had brought up uh, Mongo, and this is out of the the container space. Um, but going real quick back to Meteor and doing my research on Meteor. Um, I read that it only works with Mongo. Is that a true story? Uh, and if so, has that been a limiting factor in any way in in your engagements or um, selection of of various you know frameworks? So it does work with other um, you know a SQL. Like it does work with SQL. Like for instance, we have a we have an internal application that we call Teams. I won't go into too much detail, but it, it essentially allows our team to kind of see what other people are doing and what they have, what, what what's on their plate, and what they have to do, um, and that uses MySQL. So there's no limitation in terms of of actually connecting to an, um, you know, an, another database like that. Where where you run into problems is if you want to have the reactivity. So in in Meteor, there's a, a concept of reactivity where um, if if a client, you know, a client browser subscribes to to a certain data set on the server, and that that data set on the server is uh, changes. Well, the, the the cool thing about Meteor is that and, and Mongo as a as a combination is that Meteor is listening to the op log and notices the change. Um, it does you know it's, it's doing a diff on the data. It, know, it knows what the client has, so then it can it can quickly update the client with with the data, and then the client can change on its own. So you don't end up having to uh, you don't have to write a bunch of you know, handlers to to say, "Hey, is this data changed?" You know, polling the server. Um, uh, so I think there are cases in, in in our particular case. You know, 
we didn't really need to have reactive data for the stuff that was in our in our SQL server. So it didn't limit us. And in and in a lot of cases, or in most cases, I could you know I can't really think of a you know a time where it didn't. Mongo hasn't limited Ricochet. Um, I have, or, or or our particular clients, I have, you know, you know, throughout the the years that we've been been using it, I, I definitely have heard people talk about they wish, um, you know, that Meteor did support SQL, and and just to be clear, that is on their roadmap. Um, so they ultimately they picked Mongo because it was, um, you know, it was a it was a new emerging tool and had some excitement excitement around it. And it, it, it happened to lend itself to what Media was trying to do very easily, but uh, SQL and the the stuff that uh, that Mongo allows Media to do now is on their roadmap. So ultimately, they will be able to support a SQL Server and and support all the same features that that you uh, that you have. That's awesome. Thanks a lot, Stephen. So. Um, we have uh, taken so much of your time that we are out of time and uh, we appreciate everything you did for us today. So our first question for you is, you know, as far as public speaking or events and things like that, where and when can we find you next? So that, um, that there's quite a bit on the horizon there. Um, for the most part right now, though, the only thing that I have lined up is I'm, I'm working with the, the Docker team and we're trying to um, get myself uh, scheduled to do some of the meetups around the Bay Area, and then I'm also talking with them on uh, giving some talks about the some of the practical stuff that we've been doing with Docker. Um, so I don't have anything uh, you know lined up right now, but definitely on the the meetup side, and then working with Docker um, on on some public speaking is is definitely on the horizon. Cool. We'll keep a lookout for that in the meetups. Um, cool. And then next is, you know, what are the best ways to get a hold of you? I mean, obviously, you're pretty reactive on Twitter, um, especially, you know, if uh, Brent has a little bit of the brown water and tweets out, he can get a hold of you pretty quick. So what about everybody else? Is it Twitter? What, where else would you like him to reach out for you? Yeah, Twitter, or you can just reach out to me directly um, to my uh, to my email, spope at projectricochet.com. I'd be glad to, to chat with you guys or with anybody about Docker and um, – I'm really, I'm really excited about that stuff. So anybody that's that's working on that stuff, I'm, I'm totally interested in, in talking with you. And then from GitHub, it looks like you're Pope Stephen G. Is that correct? That's correct. Awesome. Uh, another fun thing we love to ask people about, and we find we get the most interesting answers. So, what what books or websites or any other publications are you reading? And it doesn't necessarily have to be technology based, but it can be uh, that you'd like everybody else to hear about. Yeah. So um, one book that I'm reading right now, which has kind of been blowing my mind. Um, and, it, and it goes back to kind of what we first started talking about, which was, I, I think, an important piece to, to rolling out Docker is, is management, business, and, and technology. And the book that I've been reading right now that's just, just every page kind of blows my mind is uh, Peter F. Drucker's uh, uh, management book. And that it's a really long read, but it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like it because it's just, it's one thing after another of just, you know, how do you, how do you manage an organization and um, you know, and it, it's to me. Um, I've always kind of been a, an independent thinker. I wasn't really a, a follower or a leader, um, you might say. Um, so when I when I got into consulting and we started building a team, we're a team of twenty five now. Uh, management wasn't something that uh, you know was super obvious to me, and and I I, I don't think it's super obvious to to everyone. Um, but it's actually not that difficult, and it's. You know, again, I keep saying this. It's very it, 
this book is very practical. It, it talks about things that you're, you're, you're going to struggle with and really addresses them in, in ways of, of, you know, pretty simple ways. And it's, it's, it's just been one of these books where I'm, every page I'm just like, man, this is, this is really amazing stuff. And this is going to help, help me be a better leader for my team and help and actually, you know, make, make the lives better um, for all the people that are working for us. So I, I'd, I'd recommend that book to anybody. Peter Drucker Management. Yeah. Steven's going to school. Okay, <laughs> that's the end of it here. So, uh, you know, on behalf of the Hot Owl, everybody out there, tweet at us, tweet at Steven, keep bringing subjects up, let us know what's going on. By now, if you don't know how to get social with us, go back and listen to the other 41 episodes and figure it out, because I'm not going to say it again, at least not until 43. Uh, so, with that being said, my name is Brian Carpenter, and with me, Brent Piotti. Thank you, Brent. And that is the Hot Owl. Thanks again, Steven, for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.